for me, it was never, ever a goal to sound smart. I, in fact, it's like even today, if somebody says, man, that guy's a genius, I almost feel like I failed him because I want them to say when I'm done speaking, oh my gosh, that is so simple. Why are we not doing that? I think that is the essence of the great communicator, that they don't put themselves on this unique pedestal that is, I am unique, I'm special, but rather it's one where I'm just like you. You are listening to Louder Than Words, the podcast inspiring creatives of all types by giving you a glimpse into the lives and creative process of the most remarkable people you know. I'm John Benini, and I'm your host. And welcome, everyone, to the latest episode of Louder Than Words, where I'm lucky enough to get to hang out with some of the most brilliant people in business, people that are friends of mine, people that I've never met before, that maybe the first time I'm speaking with them happens to be on this podcast. Either way, we get to have a ton of fun. My name is John Benini. I'm a conversion copywriter. You can check me out at my website, johnbenini.co, without the M. Uh, I talk about all kinds of things, uh, about writing content on your site uh, that drives action from headlines to button text to emails. Uh, anything about being more compelling and more human to drive the action that you need, you can come check me out. Or on Twitter, at Benini84, and we could chat there and have a lot of fun. But more importantly, today I have an awesome guest. I actually poured an extra cup of coffee today because anytime you're hanging out with Marcus Sheridan and anyone who, <laughs> anyone who's seen Marcus speak knows that you have to bring your A game and you have to show up ready to go. So I certainly did that today. Marcus is the founder of The Sales Lion, a marketing and sales consultancy helping companies adopt more inbound methods of doing business, being more human, being more transparent in order to increase their sales. His story of how he turned around river pools and spas is one of legend. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably have heard of it. If not, we'll have him go over that a little bit today. Uh, it's one of the most talked about success stories in digital marketing. It was featured in the New York Times all over the place. And because of that, Marcus now speaks all over the world. Um, I, I'm not even sure how many days this guy spends on the road, but he's at so many of the biggest conferences throughout the world. If he's at a conference that you're at and you haven't seen him speak yet, please drop everything and go see him because he probably will be the best speaker you've ever seen. Um, thrilled to have him here today. He's a good friend of mine. Marcus, how's everything going, man? Thanks for coming on today. Dude, that was something. <laughs> I like want to meet Marcus. This is great. <laughs> he's, this a, is great. He's, he's a great guy, man. You need a hype man for when you, uh, <laughs> for when you get introduced at conferences. Oh, Let me know. Oh, man, I love it. But what joy, right? What joy to be able to go around and to communicate and maybe change a few lives in the process and... Uh, uh, really, it's it's been a rags to riches in a lot of ways, and so I'm grateful to be here with you today, bud, and with your audience. Yeah, they're great people. They're they're very well engaged too. So um, they're gonna love this. So first, I want to ask you just this 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 question: the sales line. Where did that nickname? Where did where did that whole thing come from? Uh, so there's a, there's a few different um, there's a few different answers to that question. All right, and this is actually one that few people surprisingly ask. And I usually don't give a detailed answer. I like you a lot, John, so I'm going to give you both <laughs> answers. Um, and it's going to sound a little bit cheesy to some people. Oh, that's okay. I'm, I'm totally okay with that. So the first answer is this. When I was, when I was growing up, I was, um, I was a poor reader. And um, I, in fact, I was in the, like, the, the behind 
readers class, right? The deficient readers class when I was younger. And the first book I actually ever read was The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I always had a fascination uh, with, uh, with that character, Aslan, of that book and just the book in general. And C.S. Lewis is an amazing man. And so I've always loved lions. That's number one. Number two, um, when I was, the year was, I guess it was about 2007, 2008, and I was starting to make some change in my, changes in my life. And I was going through a period of, I, I would say, intense uh, introspection and personal development. And I went on this, uh, I guess it was like a learning retreat, if you will. And uh, the guy that was with us had had us do an activity. And uh, it was an activity that I'd never done before. And frankly, John, I thought it was really, really cheesy. And it was like the culminating activity of this retreat that we had gone on. And basically, how it works, it's called a vision quest, but not like you go on a walkabout and look to see things. A vision quest in this regard works like this. Let's say I tell you, um, in other words, if I told you, John, close your eyes, and then I say something like this. You look around and you see your best friend, right? So who is your best friend that you just saw? Well, that, I mean, that image tells you a lot, whoever you just saw, because I didn't tell you who you saw, but your mind told you who you saw when I said, you look and you see your best friend. So that's an example of a vision quest. And so um, he led us on this, uh, and I reluctantly said, okay, I'll do this. And I closed my eyes, and uh, and he walked us through this series of, I guess it was scenarios and questions. And the culminating point of this vision quest, if you will, was he, he asked the question, he said, and you turn around and you look across the field and you see an animal. And so this was, and it's hard to put this in words for the listeners to understand it, John. But what happened when I was doing this in my mind, and you know, eventually I got into what this guy was saying. I said, okay, I'm really going to play along here. And what happened was, is when I, in my mind, as I'm picturing this, I turned around and I looked across this field and I saw a lion. But the problem was, the lion was laying on its stomach and it was looking at me directly, eye to eye, almost as if to say, why am I not running? And so for some reason that day, I was supposed to get the message of, you need to run. You, you are sitting on your stomach in a field. And the question is why? And so I made a commitment to myself that day that I was going to run. And, um, and when I started my own website, just like you recently started yours, when I started my own website, I knew that a lion had to be a part of the name. And that's really how the sales line came to be. Man, you give this guy a stage and you just perform every single time. That <laughs> So to everyone out there who's naming their business these arbitrary names, you got to have some meaning in there, right? <laughs> set, set the bar really high. Um, so let's so let's back up a bit. You kind of touched on this a little bit. Tell us more about where you're from, and anyone who's had any conversation to you will notice that there's a, a touch of y'alls in there. So I'm guessing it's somewhere, you know, below yeah. the Mason Dix. So tell us about where you're from. <laughs> well, I'm from I'm from Virginia, and uh, I would say it's it's the eastern side of the state. I live 
right on the Chesapeake Bay. And it's a very rural town. You know, most of my uh, buddies growing up have big trucks with big wheels and would be considered redneck by most of America. Um, that's not me. I'm not the guy with the big truck and the big wheels. But I certainly do have a little bit of a southern uh, twang. And what's funny too, John, is um, that's one thing a lot of people talk about. And because I speak a lot, um, you would some people would, would shy away from that. What I find is one of the most common comments, I guess, that I get is your southern, that southern twang or style endears you to the audience. And I think it just goes back to knowing who you are, being totally okay with who you are, and allowing that side to come out, not not burying it, not putting it somewhere. Sure, yeah. And um, what, you know, something that's curious too, a lot of guys who have great success in business, like you have speaking, you're a really big brand, you're a big name, they find themselves at some point drawn to these big cities. You You stay true to sort of you know, your home. So have you ever had that pull or, or home is just home to you? So that's it, man. It's the first person that's ever asked me that question. This is why your podcast is going to be so successful. And the answer is, I clearly see some benefits of being in a larger city, the connections, the ability to actually speak a lot more because I do a ton of business and speaking in DC, a lot of the clients in DC. That's three hours away, John, from my place. But, but I've got four children. I've got an incredible wife. We live next to her sister. We live around my, we live near my mom. And you know, as someone that's getting ready to have a child, or you will soon find out that one of the, one of the most critical factors of, of really successfully being a parent is the community that that help you along the way. And so my wife and I, we don't ever have a problem finding a babysitter. <laughs> and, um, and I live in a county where there's, there's uh, two stoplights. And so what that means is if I don't lock my door at night, I don't care. I don't really think about it. If I want to go to my mailbox, I have to get in a golf cart and drive to the mailbox because it's a half a mile away. Right? So so I've watched my you know, kids play in the field and play in the yard my whole life, well, as I've been a parent. And um, they say, John, a happy wife is a happy life. And I, as, a, as, a, um, as someone that wants to, that's committed to, um, to this, this family, this team that I have, so I have to recognize that, okay, this makes my wife happy. So if I'm going to say to her... I'm going to be gone two or three days out of the week. And it's not every week, but it happens many weeks where I'm gone two or three days. I owe it to her to help her feel secure despite the fact that I'm not around. And uh, so she's able to, she's able to feel that uh, based on where we live. Also, I think what, what the digital side of um, this magical age we're a part of has done, it's allowed people like me that live in the sticks or somebody that lives in New Zealand to create a brand and to build that brand and to, you know, to become a somebody that is recognized as, as a thought leader or leader in, in, in some space, despite the fact that you're not shoulder to shoulder, elbow to elbow and at every networking group in your, in your local city. Sure. 
Sure. Yeah, that that's probably the best and well most well thought out answer. I think you articulated a lot of things that I think oftentimes. Although I'm up in Connecticut, so it's you know we're right around these huge, you know, uh, these these veins in the country: Boston, New York City, and Philadelphia. And you are too, D.C., Baltimore. So it's just uh, I think being around it, close by, kind of helps. But yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, my uh, I have three siblings. Um, Kelly, who, you know, this, this very special woman, uh, that I, I'm going to be going on this journey with has two sisters and they're all, yeah, they're all close by. And I, I think you nailed it on the head. It's like, you know, the babysitter stuff, that that's a big deal, right? When you can have all those babysitters close by, it's a big deal. So, well, uh, to see the, and, and I know I, I, not to, you know, hopefully your, your listeners won't mind this, but it's one of those things where, you know, successful relationships, uh, marriage, whatever it is, they put themselves first. So, so in other words, I put my wife before my kids. And the reason why a lot of people end up struggling, a lot of couples and family struggle, is they put the kid before the spouse or the kids before the spouse. That's a huge problem. That's a huge problem. And so the kids know that they don't get between me and mom. Right? It just doesn't roll that way. But because of that, we've got a perfect order of things. And we've um, I would, you know, I can honestly say that we're happier today after uh, 15 years of marriage than we've ever been. And, uh, you know, it thrills me to say that. And, you know, there's were times when those struggles, especially going back to the, you know, struggles with river pools. And, you know, it's funny, even though I travel the world now, John, I'm home way more than I've ever been because just because you spend the night at your house doesn't mean that you're home. And it certainly doesn't mean that you're present. When I was a pool guy and we were struggling all those years, I would leave early in the morning and I'd get home late at night. I didn't see my kids. I literally skipped their childhood. And I was sleeping in the bed. But you see, I wasn't a good dad. And there's a really, really big difference. Today, I might be gone, but my kids know my name. Getting really deep here on Louder Than Words. Tony Robbins has nothing on this podcast. (laughs) So you just touched on it, the river pools and pa, uh, spa story. I'm, I'm sure you're probably, eh, maybe not, uh, tired of talking about this story, right? I will never get sick of this story. It makes me sad when I see people. Um, you know, I was recently with somebody that had worked for a, a major, uh, major, major brand and had done some things with that brand. And we were talking about speaking. He's like, I just, I just want to separate myself from that brand. And I don't want to. I don't want to make that part of my story. I'm like, dude, why would you say that? That that made you what you are, and the River Pools experience made me what I am. And so, I am thrilled to share it. As thrilled to share it today, John, as I was three, four years ago. And as thrilled to talk about things like they ask you answer today as I was three or four years ago, because I think it's truth. I think it resonates. And so the quick story is I started with with two friends, uh, a swimming pool company, literally out of the back of a pickup truck in 2001, shortly after college. And we were slogging through, somewhat making it. And just when I thought we were going to start to really turn the corner, in 2008, the market exploded. The housing market went uh, just completely berserk in a bad way. The, the Dow crashed. And within 48 hours of the crash, that, at that 
uh, that was uh, September, September, uh, I believe, of, of 2008. The 48 hours of the crash, we lost five deposits. People that were going to get a pool going into the offseason, they said, we just can't do it because we don't have confidence in the economy. And so we lost a quarter of a million dollars in business in those 48 hours. And over the coming months, John, things started to get worse and worse. And by January of 2009, we're three weeks overdrawn our bank account. Uh, I got 16 employees are sitting home and I'm scared to death. And every consultant that I talked to, and I talked to a few, said, hey, you need to file bankruptcy. You need to call it a day. But you see, if I was going to file bankruptcy, I was going to lose my home. My two business partners were going to lose their home. It was the most stressful time in my life. In fact, it was one of those times, John, where when I would come home, my wife wouldn't say, how was your day? And there's only one reason why, why that would happen. It's because she knew that if I, if she asked, it was just going to, it was just going to be a bad answer. And so we just didn't talk about it. It was difficult, difficult. But it was during this time that I stumbled across this little company at the time called HubSpot. And they were teaching these principles of inbound marketing. And uh, so I started reading about inbound marketing and started seeing other phrases like content marketing. But to me, John, because my brain works in such a simplistic way, I kept hearing uh, in my head, okay, Marcus, so basically what you're saying is if you take the time to truly listen to the questions your customers are asking and then you're willing to address those questions honestly, transparently, as much as possible on your website through text and video, you just might be successful. And so our core philosophy as a company became four simple words, which is they ask, you answer. If anybody had ever asked us a question, we were going to address it on our website, honestly and transparently. And I almost did one piece of content every day for two straight years. And to make a long story short, the traffic, the leads, and ultimately the sales exploded because of it for River Pools. And today, it's the most trafficked swimming pool website in the world. And this past month, we got about a half a million visitors to the site. And that's a little local business in Virginia that has a three-hour radius in terms of pool installations. But we really, truly dictate the entire education for a consumer base um, all over the world. And that's also why now we are becoming manufacturers of fiberglass pools. And I would suspect within a short few years, John, that river pools will probably be the largest manufacturer of fiberglass pools in the country. And what I find most fascinating about this whole story, Marcus, is you, you know, we've talked, we've had a lot of conversations before personally. You never really thought of yourself as a writer. And mm. you even mentioned earlier that when you were younger, you were, you know, you were uh, in the classes for people with, you know, reading comprehension and things like that. Um, and you still, uh, you know, sometimes we've had, we've had emails and stuff where you say, hey, look over the stuff I sent you. Because, so it's like, it's almost like you still don't consider yourself a writer, but yet you saved, you know, you helped save River Pools through writing. I find that so fascinating. <laughs> what, what's the lesson there? Because, you well, know, one of the frustrating things that I think I hear when people talk about your story is blogging and content. And I think when I first met you and first heard of you, I, I thought of this too content and blogging saved the business. But I don't think that's what it was. I think it was you just paid attention and you found out where the attention graph was. And you just, like, it might be different now than it was in 2008. It'll be even different in 2025 than it is right now. But that same lesson can still be applied forever. Um, so a guy that wasn't a writer, um, how, did this, how did you save the company through writing? That's so fascinating. 
Yeah, well, I think I think despite the fact that I wasn't necessarily an incredibly proficient writer, what I did have a knack for was clean communication. In other words, what I mean by that, John, is I could take something that was hard to understand and explain it in a way that light bulbs come on and people would say, oh, okay, that makes sense. I understand that. And, um, and, and for me, it was never, ever a goal to sound smart. I, in fact, it's like even today, if somebody says, man, that guy's a genius, I almost feel like I failed him because I want them to say when I'm done speaking, oh my gosh, that is so simple. Why are we not doing that? I think that is the essence of the great communicator that they don't put themselves on this unique pedestal that is, I am unique, I'm special, but rather it's one where I'm just like you. Because I'm just like you, you have a certain set of skills, talents, and abilities as well that you can apply to your business and ultimately find success. I think if a business owner can talk about their stuff or somebody that works for a business can talk about their stuff, the thing that they do, the thing that they sell, then they certainly can make content work for them. And now, granted, not everybody can necessarily write. I know some people that produce a lot of content. It's pretty poor from a, you know, if an editor looked at it, but they have editors that look at it. You know, they have somebody that fixes, that cleans it for them. But I think we're all, we're not all writers, but we sure as heck are all communicators. And the moment somebody realizes that, John, it opens up the floodgates of the possibilities. Yeah, one of my favorite quotes from from Seth Godin is he says, nobody wakes up in the morning and says they have talker's block. So, you know, people often say, oh, I have writer's block. I can't, I can't create content. Well, <laughs> what would you say? How would you communicate to other people in a, in, a, in a way that's very conversational? And I think you hit that on the head. So describe those nights that you were sitting at the kitchen table at home because your days were spent trying to figure out, you know, how, how do we how do we sell more pools? How do we keep this business from going under? And then you made these discoveries sort of late at night um, about blog posts. So you started writing. What were those nights like? Were, were you like, hey, everybody leave me alone? Um, you know, were you eating dinner at the table by yourself? Like, what, what was that like for you that whole period of time? Yeah, so for me, that period of time was I waited until... Most of my blog posts were written after 11 o'clock at night. And they were written at the kitchen table. And uh, my wife, for, for those many months and actually years, she's, she said she got, a, it was a soothing effect for her to lie in bed and hear the tapping of keys coming from the kitchen. And that's literally what it was like for those couple of years. And I would have, been on a sales appointment or two or three that day. And when I really got into content and content marketing inbound, I would, instead of sitting in a sales appointment and hearing a question, just answering it, my first thought was always, why are they asking me this question? And have I answered this question on my site already? In other words, I got to the point where I was thinking from the sales side of things, if people keep asking me the same questions, it means I'm failing to teach and communicate well on the front end, which of course is the website, right? And so I, as a sales guy, I didn't need more practice answering them. What I needed to do was figure out a way so that I didn't have to keep answering them. 
because I knew that if I'm not answering the same questions over and over again on these sales appointments, what I'm going to be doing instead of doing that is actually selling. The problem with sales today that most salespeople don't get is they spend way too much time teaching. And the teaching should occur before they ever see the salesperson face-to-face. The salesperson's job is to actually sell. And that's what makes progress. That's what shortens sales cycles. And I learned that over these you know, couple of years of producing the content on the site and sitting there late at night. And you know, eventually it got to the point that I, I did get pretty fast. You know, The writing was slow at first. And then most articles took 20 to 30 minutes. But I didn't overthink them. Like I said, I didn't try to sound smart. I just would say, okay, I heard that question today. I'm going to address it now. I'm going to answer it. I'm going to do it unbiased. And uh, I'm going to be as transparent as possible. And uh, it really, really paid off. So if this all happened, you know, this story or this situation had happened right now in 2015 rather than 2008, um, you know, given the amount of content that was published in 2008 as a, as a, in comparison to right now, there's a lot more. You hear a lot about saturation. Personally, I think that sometimes that's an excuse because I don't think quality ever saturates. There's a lot of crap out there, but I don't think quality ever saturates. But you know, there's different platforms now. There's a lot more content. There's a lot more noise. So if this whole situation had happened in 2015 instead of 2008, do you think your approach would have been the same or would you have paid attention to different platforms? Like how would, how would it all have been different? No, if I did it today, I would do it exactly as I did it back then. I mean, um, you know, it's, it's one of those deals where Let's say your industry is very saturated. And let's say in your industry, there's 15 or 20 river pools and spas, right? Well, and then let's go even further and say, hypothetically, you never get another visitor from Google again, not a search visitor. You're still going to have people coming to your site. They're still going to be vetting you. If somebody gets a referral from a a friend before they call you, they're going to vet you on your site. If somebody sees you socially, they're going to come to your site. And so there's, if you're doing pay-per-click, they're coming to your site. And so the great question is, when they come to your site, are they fed? Do they feel like this person gets me? They understand me. They understand my pains, my problems, my worries. They're willing to give me straight answers. And because of that, I like this company. I feel like I can trust this company. You see, I would produce content from now until the end of time, even if I knew Google would never send somebody my way again. And furthermore, furthermore, it is not until we're forced to distill our thoughts that we realize what we're going or what we're really trying to say. To me, every company needs to write the gospel according to you. And the moment you write your gospel, in other words, your philosophy as a business and what you believe about your business and your answers to the common questions you get all the time, that opens up this beautiful opportunity. If you think about it, John, anybody that ever comes to your company from this point forward, if you grow, that's your training manual, right? That's your company um, outline. I mean, that's, that is your, that's the soul of your business. That's what you believe. That's what you represent. And so there's so many other benefits other than just straight Google sending people your way that it's more than worth it. And you mentioned trust there too, and I know that the content you've off, you know, you always, you know, um, talk about this in, in many of your talks about how the content leads to trust, which leads 
to leads, which, as we all know, can lead to sales. Um, but not everyone approaches content this way. And you have a great analogy that I want you to use um, involving middle school dances. Uh, about there being two types of guys at the middle school dance, and you relate that to companies that are creating content. Can you share that analogy with everybody? Because I think it's brilliant. Well, it's it's one of those deals where if you look back at, at middle school dances, there really are, generally speaking, there's two types of guys. And there's some in between. But So you have the one guy that's chasing everybody down that keeps tapping every girl on the shoulder. And John, you may or may not have been that person. And then you have the other guy that instead of chasing everybody down, they are pre- approached or encircled about, and they're basically choosing who they would like to have their next dance with. And you know, business in so many ways is about choosing good dance partners because the worst part about being in a dance with somebody, John, is the moment you realize this person's miserable. I don't like them, but yet I got to finish out the song And that's why business owners are unhappy. Business owners do not become unhappy because of bad clients. They become unhappy because they've engaged the wrong people, because they have bad fit clients and they have bad fit employees. That's where all the problems come from. (laughs) And if you can eliminate those, you're going to be really happy. You're going to be really successful. That's the essence of inbound. And that's the essence of great messaging, great content. And if you really message, if you really teach the right way, you'll, you, you won't ever get in those dances. You won't have those issues because the person that's uninformed, that's a bad fit, will disqualify themselves and you won't have to do it for them. Nail on the head with, with unhappy business owners. It always comes down to the wrong fit. Honestly, you could have all the business in the world too and they're still unhappy. Um, and I also, uh, I'm flattered that you think I was audacious enough to be the guy that was walking around. To, I was the guy in the corner that was too afraid to talk to any of the girls. Because, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think things worked out in the end. But yeah, I was more like uh, hanging out by the punch bowl and getting my sugar Punch fixed, bowl so. guy. <laughs> so, right, right, sweet. So we talked earlier and, um, you know, the sales line came about and... You, you were at River Pools, you know, things picked up, obviously. You saw great success after this whole, you know, uh, commitment to inbound and creating content. But you said you still kind of felt unfulfilled because you were like, you, you could sell a couple pools and you knew you were helping a few people, but you wanted to help a few thousand people. So tell us how the sales line came about and, um, you know, that whole evolution that took place. Well, March of 2009, I start producing content with River Pools, embrace text video, see that it's working, see that it's going to maybe save the business. And I'm like, wow, this is cool. Other people should know about this. And so I said, as a birthday present, I'm going to give myself, and this was November of 2009, uh, I said, I'm going to give myself a website. And of course, as you know, I called it the sales lion. And I I literally just started writing about the things that were on my mind from a sales marketing perspective. And and quickly, it it really became much about inbound, about HubSpot, about content, about earning people's trust, about all the unique type of content. And we were doing unique stuff at the time, unheard of stuff, that we were producing at River Pools and Spas. And so... um, it was it was not until the end of the first year that anybody really listened, John, because I realized, as you mentioned earlier, that it was already a pretty competitive and saturated space. And, and, and in a lot of ways, I, I was like, wow, I'm a latecomer to this party. 
And um, so it took a little bit of time, but then all of a sudden, people started saying, "Wow, um, what you did with River Pools, that's it's a it's an incredible story. Could you share that at our event, at our conference?" And I said, "Sure, you know." And then people would say, "Hey, you know, what you did with River Pools, do you think that could apply to my business?" I'm like, "Yeah, of course it would apply to your business." Because the fact of the matter is, you know, today with this, you know, with with the sales line being uh, a coaching consulting company, for these principles of inbound, of great communication, HubSpot training, things like that. Most of our clients are B2B. Most are service-oriented. They're nothing like B2C swimming pool builders. But it's the same business. Ultimately, every single one of us that is listening to this right now is in the exact same business. It's the business of trust. And the moment somebody embraces that reality and they stop saying, oh, we're so unique, we're so special, the way we do things is so da-da-da. No, no, no. No, it's not. Just dumb it down for everybody else and agree that your people are just like mine and what are the principles that are going to earn you trust in your space. Now, if you do that, you're going to be ahead of the game. You're going to be way ahead of the game. The ones that are incredibly successful, John, and you know this, they're not the ones saying, well, but you see, Marcus, we're different and that wouldn't apply to us. That principle that's been around since the beginning of time would not apply to us. They don't say that. They say, Sure, I could see how that could work. That's possible. So you're saying, Marcus, we should answer our customers' questions. We should do it through text and video. Huh. Okay, yeah, we could do that. Why not? <laughs> I mean, it's ain't rocket science. But amazingly, a lot of companies resist that notion because they think what they're doing is so dang special. Yeah, and that this is something you actually talk about a lot in your talks. And your evolution into becoming a speaker, I think was, it's just fascinating. And I said this at the beginning, um, you're, you're definitely in the top two or three speakers I've ever seen at a marketing conference. Um, and you made this constant conscious decision, I think, and I'm just guessing here, not to play it like everyone else on stage. Um, and, and here's the thing too, like you're never ever going to be able to view yourself the way I can because I'm in the audience and I'm a viewer. You're the performer, right? So you're you're critical in different ways. So from my standpoint, here's here's what I see. Like everyone at a Marcus Sheridan talk is paying attention. I think, um, and I even felt like this because you have the mic in your back pocket and you sort of walk around and just like toss it at people and ask them questions. No one's on their cell phones. No one's on their. La- it's it's sort of like being an English class. You're like, I can't take out my cell phone. I'm going to get in trouble. Um, and I think some people are like on their toes the whole time. They might be a little uncomfortable in a good way. Um, and, and you just, you, you're so unlike any other speaker that's going to be on the bill. And I think that's what draws a lot of people to you. And every time I've seen you, there's more people, it seems like. So did you make this conscious decision to be like, hey, I'm going to play it a little differently. I'm going to be a little more aggressive. I'm going to ask for more participation from the audience. I'm going to walk around the entire room. I'm going to call people out by name when you recognize them. Like, how did this whole evolution take place into you becoming a speaker? Because you're not just another guy in the bill. You're you're one of, you're a, a top billed guy. So how did this all happen? Well, uh, and I appreciate those words, John. Um, I never said to myself, "I must think of a way to be different, and that will build my brand as a speaker." It never happened like that. For me. I always saw it. It's like it was immediately. 
I would go to conferences. Like when I started going to conference when I wasn't speaking, but I was just an attendee. And I was watching the speakers and I said to myself, you know, it's kind of funny. We teach about social media. We teach about interaction. We teach about engagement. We teach about discussion. But yet when we speak, we don't actually do any of that stuff. <laughs> it just didn't make sense. <laughs> so true, like yeah. in my mind, I was like, well, wh- why is the principle change? Why is it an online thing and not an offline thing? And uh, And so I also said to myself that my, I I can't imagine not involving the audience, and I want them to feel like they are as much a part of my message as I am. And um, and it has served me incredibly well, John. Like you said, because this is the result. Because I go into the crowd, because I just ask people questions. The result is 95% are exhilarated. Um, and like you said, some are like, a very, very common feedback uh, comment is, I was scared to death he was going to call on me, <laughs> but it was an amazing talk, right? Uh, and there is another 5% of people that said, he made me uncomfortable and I don't like him. Um, and guess what? I let go of those 5% of people before I even walk onto your stage. I just don't care about them. I love them, but I don't allow the fact that they don't want to. They're there at a conference talking about social and content, yet they don't want to engage. Sorry, I'm not playing that game. Let's not be hypocrites here. So we're all in this together. So if you're not in it with me, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let you go because I'm going to worry about the 95%. That's my right fit, right? Those are the ones that are a good fit for me. And, um, And like you said, because of it, it's been amazing. Now, that style of going into the audience, I can't necessarily do that when it gets above 1,500 people. you know. And so it's one of those deals where the bigger the audience, John, the more I have to stay on the stage. But then what happens is you'll find that I will, in like you haven't seen me speak on some of these stages. So maybe in the future, John, like, you know, because my goal is, is to speak to, you know, 10, 20, 30,000 people consistently. That's where I want to be. I realize I can't go into the audience, certainly not the whole time, and do that. Is it possible, though, to have the audience feel like you're having a conversation with them and they're answering your questions without them actually talking? Is it possible? And I would argue that it is. And that's this, the, the skill that I have been working on over the past six months is refining the ability to feel like it was an incredibly interactive experience without stepping off the stage so that when it's an audience of of 5,000 and 10,000, uh, they feel like they had a very, very different experience. Do you, are your consulting engagements similar in, in tone and delivery? Because a lot of what you're teaching and consulting on, you're, you're breaking these age-old habits, especially probably in bigger companies where there's you know, more bureaucracy and a, you know, a, a, a longer you know, hierarchy. So are you more sort of to the point, direct, you know... Mm-hmm. Borderline yeah, impressive. it's a very, it it's a very, yeah, yeah, it is, it is similar. And I usually end up having really, really great relationships with clients because it's very much a coaching model. I mean, that's really what it is, John. It's a coaching model. But I tell people, I'm like, no, we do not write titles like that. That's not how we do it. It's not acceptable. You're going to have a focus when you write your title or you're just not going to write it. But we're not going to put it out there just because. 
You know, and that's a normal like that's a normal tone if somebody got off track with something that we were teaching. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because I hold everybody accountable because what I'm looking for is the next river pool story. That's what I'm after. In order to do that, you got to take certain things seriously. Just like I'll say to somebody, you sound really biased here. And if you sound biased, we're not going to publish it. You need to be willing to address both sides of the coin. So unless you're willing to do it, let's just not do it. <laughs> let's do it the right way. And I find that people really appreciate that style of just clean communication uh, across the board, frank communication. Our clients really, really like it. And, you know, I've been doing a lot, too, with marketing agencies recently, John. You, you know this, but, but uh, teaching them how to give workshops because there is a key to giving world-class workshops that most people don't understand. And when I give a workshop that's three hours, the one thing that I've been able to do, and this sounds braggadocious, but I'm going to say it anyway, the one thing that I feel like I can do maybe better than anybody else in the world right now is take a group of, say, CEOs that are completely contrary to content marketing and whether or not it'll work and flip them in the course of an hour or so and have them say, my goodness, why are we not doing this? We need to start today. I feel like I can do that right now better than anybody else in the world. I can't do a lot of things, but I can do that one thing. And the reason is because my entire workshop model, and even that speaking model that you're talking about a minute ago, is based on a process of asking questions that will lead the audience to discover the thing, the truth, if you will, that I'm trying to tell them without me actually telling them first. You see, most speakers, most presenters, and most people that give a workshop, they want to tell you what they want to tell you. They tell you, and then they might talk to you about what they just told you. See, I'm very, very, very different. And the idea is that I ask you a question. You tell me how you behave, what you expect, and essentially, you are now discovering the truth of what I'm getting ready to tell you. Hard to explain it, John, but that's the key to incredible persuasion. And I'm, I'm not talking about persuasion in, 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 like in a like hypnotic form. Like a dirty way, yeah. Yeah, in a dirty way. I'm talking about person says, well, dang on, that is the way I expect to be treated online. Huh, maybe I should treat my customers like that too. <laughs> I think a lot of people have that realization after they engage with you in, in, in any way. Um, I want to get a little, a little more personal here to, to you and your process. Tell me about somebody who has taught you more about life and your career than anyone else. Um, probably my biggest mentor in this space is... Um, at least in, in, in this space, is Jay Bear. Um, and the, Jay Bear is um, usually the smartest man in the building. And, and everybody knows it. And he doesn't sit there and flaunt it. But Jay Bear is a genius. And, uh, you know, he's, he's the author of Utility, Convince and Convert. And um, he and I have had just so many great talks and so much experience. He is he brings to the table and he just understands how to say things to me that make me say, you know what? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And one thing that he's really helped me with, he's like, do not base your business decisions on what you see your peers doing. That is stupid. So just because you see that person starting an agency doesn't mean you should start an agency. Just because you see that company offering that service doesn't mean you should be offering 
that service. It's things like that, right, John? Because even though we might know these things, to have somebody that's really smart tell us it and hit it, hit us over the head with a baseball bat, that's really nice. Everybody needs that person. I believe strongly. Everybody needs that person. So that's probably professionally one of the most influential people I've ever been around. The other two, um, my two business partners from Riverpools, we're all three very, very different people, but we hold the same values. And we've gotten along splendidly for 15 years, and we've gone through financial just, you know, just disparate, or just brutal financial messes uh, during that time. And you you don't usually survive that. And so how do we survive that? And I realize when it comes to to business, business partners, that what doesn't matter is that you um that you're that you're similar to each other. In fact, that can be a hindrance. What matters is that you share the same core values. That's the only thing that matters. If you share these same core values, well, then you're going to be probably very successful. For example, the moment you feel like your business partner is doing something shady, that's when things go bad, right? See, I've never felt that before because we have the same core values. And so they have helped me when I have been at my lowest points and they've lifted me up. And I think everybody needs somebody like that. And I'm just lucky that I've got two best friends that happen to be business partners with River Pools. That's, that's a great start. Um, what about like things you extract inspiration from? So like books? Um, I think the are, greatest book ever written was How to Win Friends and Influence People oh, by that's, Carnegie. Yeah, that's a classic. I think, it's, I think it's, it's as applicable today as it was when it was written, whatever, 75, 100 years ago. I don't know when it was written. Dale Carnegie was an amazing communicator. He understood that skill maybe better than anybody else uh, in the uh, 20th century. Just amazing, amazing man. The greatest personal development um, role model I've ever had is a guy named Jim Rohn, R-O-H-N. And Jim Rohn was actually the mentor of, of Tony Robbins. And back when Tony Robbins wasn't so, I don't know, t- Tony the last 15 years for Tony weren't like his first 10 or 15 years. He's kind of, isn't the same message in a lot of ways. Um, Jim Rohn is, is just an amazing, amazing man. And uh, Tony actually worked for him and then he started his, his own thing. And uh, so if you ever get a chance, go on YouTube uh, if you're listening to this and, and check out Jim Rohn. Again, it's Jim R-O-H-N. And I think he was the greatest personal development mind of the 20th century. So Carnegie was the greatest communicator. Roan was the best personal development mind. And I can still listen to Jim Roan. Um, he's passed away now. And just I'm just blown away by the man. He was as good as they come. He was gold. And do you do you read a lot? Like what was the last what was the last I don't, great thing I don't you- read nearly as much as I should. This is one one of my things that I need to work on, John. Um, it's a problem that I have. And um, I'm trying to fix what has really hurt my reading is email. Um, because what happens is I get a lot of emails. I get a lot of emails from readers. I get a lot of emails from people that just want help. And I love offering help. But the problem is I end up working on other people a lot and I don't work enough on myself. So one of the things that I'm trying to do now is really focus more on working on myself and being okay with not answering every single email. You just get to a point sometimes where you can't do 
you can't do it all. Um, so in terms of, uh, in terms of, of content, the thing I, I consume most of is podcasts, especially because I have to drive like an hour and a half to the airport and back and things like that. Um, one of the podcasts that I really enjoy these days is Tim Ferriss. Um, I totally misjudged Tim Ferriss. Uh, I had to repent for that. You know, when he came out, out with the four hour work week, I thought it was kind of gimmicky. And, um, and it just, the, whole, the title was gimmicky to me. But then I quickly realized that there was a lot of great principles of that book. Um, but I still wasn't sure about Tim. But then I started listening to his podcasts. I'm like, man, this guy is great. I mean, he really, really is great. And so I strongly recommend um, uh, his podcast. And, you know, there's, there's, some, uh, there's some others out there. You know, I mean, there's, there's, lots, of, there's lots of good podcasts out there. But, and, and then for me, the other thing is, I think one of the main reasons why I have my own podcast, and I actually have two, but the reason why on Mad Marketing I do monologue is because it forces me to figure out what I'm trying to say. It forces me to address things that I necessarily have not addressed, John. And so for me personally, it's incredibly healthy. So if I didn't have a listener, I would still be deriving incredible value by having a podcast. And then the other one is the Hubcast, which you and, and, and George Thomas put together and, and talk about all things HubSpot. And yeah. that's a brilliant one too. So um, It was a really smart move because you, know, you say, why would you create a, a podcast that only has the potential of 15,000 listeners because you know, HubSpot only has 15,000 users. And the thing is, you know, as you've heard, as many have heard, the riches are in the niches. And the more niche you become, the um, oftentimes the more attractive you are, right? And so I wanted to make sure that we had the HubSpot authority when it came to audio content. And we've been able to achieve that, right? And because we've been able to achieve that and we have really strong following from that, it's only going to lead to, you know, to, to bigger and better things. And they also have 2 million monthly blog readers. So they may only have 15,000 customers, but there's a lot of people on their radar. That's right. That's and there's a, yeah. I've been shocked at how many listen to the Hubcast but don't use HubSpot. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. That's just a, a, a mark to, first of all, the personalities that are hosting it and you and George, but also to the brand, HubSpot. I mean, they, they attract a bunch of people that just, it's, it's, a, it's a destination for a lot of people to, yep. to learn. So, yeah, it's yep. great. Um, so, are you, an, are you an iPhone guy? Are you an Android guy? What kind of smartphone do you, uh, do you arm yourself well, with? I'm sadly um, a laggard when it comes to technology. Oh, I are wish you a flip I phone guy? I wish I was a flip phone guy. That would be awesome. <laughs> So I, I do have um, uh, one of the latest uh, droid technologies, but I'm not, I don't have, I, I, I have not been a, a Mac, Apple guy up to this point. And, you know, I may be going um, in that direction, but that's one of the things that really bugs me about myself is I've never been the, the quick, you know, the quick guy to embrace the technology. I've been a little bit slower that's also a thing that I'm trying to work on a little bit. Yeah, I could see you putting a ton of nuggets out on like, uh, uh, you know, some sort of video content on on some of the social apps or, um, yeah, I feel like you could absolutely own pretty yeah, much any platform that you Yeah, I'm mean, like, for example, probably on this next episode of the episode of that, I'm going to start periscoping all of my podcasts. Oh, that'd be awesome. And yeah. I can do that because it's monologue. <laughs> yep. So I, it doesn't. Yeah, the viewer can watch my podcast recording real time. And so that's an example. But I should have done it like three months ago. 
<laughs> so what I was going to ask was, so on your smartphone, like what are some of the, the apps on your home screen? What are some of the apps that you use uh, that you couldn't live without? Mm, this is another This is another one of those areas where I stink, John. Um, and I'll disappoint your listeners because I'm usually one of the last guys that gets an app because I don't, I don't think to look for them, right? Because because my mind has never come from the technology space. And, um, well, you're active on Twitter, you know, you probably use that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, I don't even see it as an app though. You know what I'm saying? It's like to me, it's a, it's a platform. I don't see it as an app. I do enjoy Twitter. I think Twitter is the greatest real time testing and speaker feedback tool ever, ever created. Um, without a question, if you want to test any headline, any statement, any word, um, you you do it on a stage of uh, where the audience likes Twitter, and and boy, it's gold. I mean, it's absolute gold. I for years when I would when I would speak, you know, you have to wait for the feedback forms. Now I can know within seconds whether something was effective or not, whether something I thought was going to be a home run was a dud or something that I didn't pay attention to ended up being a home run. That happens all the time, and I love Twitter for that. I actually love Facebook. I love Facebook private groups. Um, I get a lot out of Facebook private groups. I think they're wonderful. I like Facebook private groups a lot more than I like Facebook itself. Yeah, um, agreed. Um, like I'm on a speaker's private group. That's just great. I'm on another private group that is a bunch of travelers and uh, people that just travel a lot. You know, So those are really helpful for me. I find that they're extremely utilitarian. I really, really enjoy those um, uh, quite a bit. I hope to tell you, like I said, that I'm going to be periscoping to death here soon. Uh, that's that's one of the things I've started embracing a lot more video uh, recently, and um, just been absolutely loving that. I mean, it's just been it's amazing. You know, I did one video recently, and the engagement was just crazy, um, crazy, crazy, crazy. It just brought out from the woodwork a whole new set of people. And I've always done video, but not a lot of video. So now I'm doing a lot of video, and it's been really, really fun. So people, pay attention to uh, Marcus's Twitter feed for Periscopes coming up. Uh, where can people check you out? Where can people find you online? I know there's a million different places, but where, where do you want to direct people from here? Yeah, well, if you want to get to know me and my soul, go to Mad Marketing, uh, the podcast. If you want to find me on Twitter, go to at the sales lion. If you want to email me directly, it's Marcus, the number one, Marcus one at the sales or you can just send it to Marcus at the sales But that goes to me and my whole team. Um, and that's probably it, John. First yeah, guy to drop it. an email in a podcast. That's awesome. That, that shows the commitment right there to engagement. So, uh, <laughs> when are you going to write a book, man? Like you have so much to share. Yeah, this is, you know, for me, this has been my one great Achilles heel. Like the one thing that if I died today, um, you know, it would it would honestly be my probably my biggest regret uh, that I haven't written a book. And here's what the most embarrassing part of it, John, is that two years ago, Seth Godin's agent came to me and said, I want to represent you. And um, I didn't have to go to her. She came to me. So the book is probably coming out this year. It's 80 percent done. But oh, it wow. took it took way too long. Um, right now, the publishers are looking at it. Title as or we, anything like that? As we, yeah, a title. You should probably guess it. It's four words. Hmm. Four words. They ask, you answer? <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Nice, nice. That, oh, I'm really looking forward to that. I was going to say... Just get somebody to ghostwrite it for you, you know, that, that's because your, your thoughts need to be out there. But that, that's awesome. I'll have to, I'll have to keep uh, up to date with you about that. Cause yeah, I, maybe I, I can jump sure back that... on with you when the, uh, when the book comes out. Absolutely. We'll absolutely. Marcus, man, 
this was a ton of fun. Thanks for coming to hang out on Louder Than Words. Um, I don't know what else to say, man. This this was great. So thanks for coming and hanging out. Hey, man, it's my pleasure. And uh, I'm not just saying this, but you're one of the best interviewers that I've um, that I've I've sat with. And uh, hopefully, you're. I'm sure that your listeners already know that, and hopefully, they're sharing out your stuff because I think you're on something really good here. Thanks, Marcus. I really appreciate that. And for all you listeners out there, I do appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you so much for all the messages. There was a few weeks there where I didn't post, and uh, it's, it's amazing. Um, Seth Godin has this quote. You know, Marcus was just talking about him. Um, are people actually going to miss you when you're not doing your thing? And that's when you know you're onto something. And I had a lot of messages from people that I had never met or talked to that were like, where's the next podcast? So thank you. Uh, we're back on track here. So thank you for listening. Uh, any shares, reviews, any of that is greatly appreciated. Uh, thanks for listening and be sure to check in next time. Cause like Marcus, we're going to have more great guests. So until then get busy making stuff and we will see you next time. So long everyone.